Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined, as always, by Michael Daniels. And we have a guest with us in the virtual studios. It's our buddy Fox. How's it going, guys? It's going fantastic. Hey, look, there's Fox. We're actually doing video today, too, so that's weird. I have to look at these <laughs> ugly mugs. They're all night long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gentlemen, it's an absolute honor to be back, as always. Thank you for inviting me on. So, uh, Fox, I hear that uh, you're having a change of actual real address recently. How's how's moving going? Do you like do you like moving life? Uh, moving life is is fine. I will say um, I had to do all the packing myself. Less fine, but I, we are in the new digs and very happy. Uh, I had to give up my theater room temporarily oh. um, as we as we build that out. But otherwise, it's been it's been great. So we're in a new new house, and it's. It wasn't nearly as painful as I thought it would. Wait, did did you move far? Was it one of those like just around the corner moves, or was it like, oh my god, you're going across state lines? No, no, much closer to around the corner, but not quite. You know, a 15 minute drive, if that. Just oh, that's a lot not bad. more space. Yeah, a lot more space to put board games. A lot more space to, like I said, eventually mm-hmm. build a theater room. The, the necessities in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, right. of course. Right. Yeah, it, Dennis was over. Was it last week, Dennis? We, we, we we're working. In, when we record down in my basement, that's that's my happy place in the world. So I, I know when you get <laughs> yeah, when you was, get a space that that's just kind of yours, you know, you whatever your hobby may be, you know, if you're into sewing or whatever it might be, that's you get a spot. <laughs> you know, it's yours. It's nice. Um, that's true. We have um, at, at my parents' house. They have both. Um, although we've had, I don't remember a time except for like short periods of time where we were in between moves like where dad switched jobs before we found the new house which was every time we did a major move uh but every time we had a a permanent long-term house um there has always been a sewing room that's my mom's yeah. like mm-hmm. but when when we were really little that she would make clothes for us and stuff like it's a, a major huge hobby it wasn't until uh much later although really this was like 15 plus years ago now that uh they built a movie room that was sort of dad's space because that's also where his uh like deer heads and stuff are um oh yeah and uh, sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> his his murder two, room two different hobbies two, two hobbies <laughs> in one room yeah for sure yeah uh, yeah so ha- ha- i get that ha- having your own space is is kind of cool well did you uh, last really interesting moving question did you use movers Yes, but literally to only Good. move things. So still, I will say, that's, that's you know, still we, nice to do, right? It is. We had a two month uh, lead up time to the move, so we spent that two those two months rather cleaning house. And man, that's so refreshing. Like you know, when you sort of have mm-hmm. to go through every drawer, and you're you know, you do that. Does it give me joy? Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And throw away things you know you'll never use. So when you move into the new house you feel like you're starting with only the things you know you think you need. Well, then then um, you quickly fill it up with more stuff, junk, right? I'm sure that's true. But yeah, <laughs> oh, because we're so overly organized, it was funny. Like, we actually put every box into our garage and organized it by room. So when the movers showed up, they, like, literally, okay, all the kitchen boxes and all the bedroom A boxes mm. and things like that. Nice, so, nice. Uh, we did it pretty quickly. My, my one thing I always remember about never fails when I move is that I always have the house, like when I go to sell it and get it ready to go, it's always in like the best shape it's ever been. And I'm like, man, why do I finally get around to making all these improvements when I'm not going to be in here anymore? You know, because I live yeah. in a house for so long and then it's like not repaired or something. But yeah, right. 
handle. Well, the most important the, thing about the go necessity ahead. of it. The most important thing about this house is it is it is designed and built for all of our Bloomington friends to come and visit eventually. So yep. that is that is definitely <laughs> the the motive behind it. There are plenty of bedrooms, couches. I see. I hear. I hear stuff. our buddy Pat's flying out there. Not too. Yeah, Pat. Pat's on the docket. We got. I, got, I even got a, a Pete on the docket. Holy moly! Um, so wow. so yeah, we're starting to starting to schedule it. So, so y'all are welcome. That's um, that's, that's a good time someone... to come out there and uh, for a football game tailgating. Absolutely. If, if, I don't know if either of you bought a camper recently, but that would be a great idea to drive <laughs> it across. I don't know if that's been discussed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that, that packing and, and loading stuff because I'm, you know, as I've mentioned a couple times before, I'm going to, you know, sort of do this RV life thing. And so I'm just slowly like we're, you know, mom's doing garage sales out there and they're packing because they're working on right. getting this farm ready to sell so they can move down south. And uh and so there's this air, this atmosphere of uh, of moving and packing and purging and all of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I've started to go through. I've t- taken a lot of clothes out there. I have board games I want to sell, but I don't want to put board games in a garage sale because, you know, I'm not going to get $25 for a game like I would at a Gen Con auction or something. People aren't going to know the difference between uh, yeah, yeah. Dominion and, and Miss Monopoly. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so, they're not even not doing a Gen Con thing this year. They're, Dominion uh, sale. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no Gen Con auction. But at, at the very least, like going through clothes, and I definitely fall into that group. Even you know, setting aside the whole like working from home and and not going anywhere COVID thing, I have hanging clothes that I've moved like three times now and never worn. Right? Like I wear <laughs> maybe twenty percent of my clothes, and I'm like, this isn't right. I just get rid of this stuff so yeah right yeah fox very come out there the, the one thing i'd say is as long as we've been friends and, and our our same interests we haven't done is we've never actually gone to a movie theater we we, we need to go like we come out there, oh my gosh is that sit, true sit down and go to a movie theater uh would be pretty fun i think oh my gosh i had no idea that was Al- although i have true. a feeling if we went out there it would just be like partying and drinking the whole time we just have a you know go go everywhere right. on the town and we'd all be streaking like they do in those those the frat movies you know, that's what we'd be doing. I mean, we've talked, movies. we've talked, usually not seriously about um, going when they when they reshow Lord of the Rings or whatever during Gen Con, and we're like, ah, the hours are so precious during Gen Con, or at least they seem that way when you're planning. Like, in retrospect, you're like, how much time do we spend just sitting around drinking and not? Although, I mean, we do play a lot of games, so that's sort of the whole thing. But we do like, a lot of talking too. Like, you get a deep yeah. conversation. So that's right. one of my favorite put, parts. You can't put, you know price on that or on that kind of yeah, yeah well having that's, right hence, right and so show, so to take right. to take several hours out of that out of that chunk of gen con time to rewatch lord of the rings has always been like eh, i could do that at home um, right i mean it, so. we everybody knows that there we're putting in a show where we just blather on for for 90 minutes every week let alone get more of us together that's like weeks worth of talking yeah. so uh, mm-hmm. so going back to movies a little bit here. Uh, so this week was a big superhero movie. We had, we've got a uh, black widow came out already. So that's a big summer blockbuster, but we've got another one superhero movie that came out mm. with suicide squad this week. Uh, the, the DC entry Warner brothers is back entry back into the big, I guess they've had other movies out, but nothing, I don't think as big as the suicide squad so far. Um, it didn't do so great at the box office. That's hard to talk about, though, right? I mean, how fair is it to talk about 
m- movie numbers in, in, with money, when it comes to money in this kind of time when people still clearly aren't coming back. Is that a fair? Is it fair to say, oh, this it cost one hundred eighty-five million to make it, only made twenty-three. It's a bomb. Is that fair? Well, and it's and and they also um, what's um, my words aren't working right now. Uh, it was on uh, HBO Max, right? So that takes yeah. some of those. D- Disney too. now Disney Plus releases some of their numbers, but HBO does not. I don't think. Right. Right. So what do you what do you think, Fox? Do you think that that it's fair to compare, or do you still have to say like, well, it's going to be low for a long time? Well, I think it's a bit of both. I think there's a couple things at play here for why the numbers aren't nearly as high as, say, Suicide Squad. I'm saying that specifically without the the in front of it. Yeah. In which case, you know, that's something to compare it against because obviously this is meant to be a reboot sequel of sorts. But let's think about this. Yes, absolutely. The recent events with the Delta variant are going to stop people from going to the theaters. New mask mandates have been put into place or put back in place and things like that. There's a little bit of a scare going on right now. So people were starting to go back to the theaters, but then didn't. That's factor number one. Factor number two, director related, is, as you said, Mike, you know, it was on HBO Max. So lots of people thought, well, I don't need to go to the theater. I can just watch this at home. Um, But that was the reason they were doing that, I do think, is part of the possible bigger problem. What is the big name associated with this? When we go back to Suicide Squad, people were kind of curious because they were promised three things. One, Will Smith in his debut of a superhero Mm. film. Number two, the reimagining of the Joker. Everyone knows the Joker. And Jared Leto was Mm. an Academy Award winner. He had previously won for Dallas Buyers Club. So when he did that, he was still kind of a household name. And number three, we promised there's some Batman in this movie. There mm. wasn't it wasn't much sense of exactly how much that was going to be, but you had those alluring qualities to that film. If you notice what the marketing is for this, it is all about James Gunn. And they have to basically tell you, oh, James Gunn is the guy who did Guardians. Remember Guardians, right. that great movie you like, Guardians mm-hmm. 1 and 2? He's doing this. Right. So the marketing here is a little bit tougher. As good as Margot Robbie is and – as I do believe she's becoming a bigger name, rightfully so, her Birds of Prey movie didn't do as well as there, everyone expected. There it is, yeah. And, right. and so, like, there was already a leading indicator that people weren't really associating her with Harley Quinn in the way in which, you know, you go to see a Superman film or you go to see yeah. a Batman film. Mm-hmm. And, and so even the Suicide Squad wasn't really marketed as a Harley Quinn film. She was part of an ensemble. Again, yeah. rightfully so. So I gave you a lot of reasons there, Michael. Um, my short answer is there's a lot of factors here. Yeah. Do I think it's fair? No, but I don't think this would have done well or as well as hoped, even in normal times because of some of those other factors. Yeah. I'll pause there. Well, th- th- there's also one, something not said here, too, is that there are less co- there is less competition in the theater right now. So even though, even though there's less people, there's less options. I know that going to the movie this weekend. Now I'm a movie theater person to go to go watch, and I've watched as they've come out this summer. But every week, it's basically one choice. I mean, there's yeah, there's yeah. there are other things released, but really, there's just one movie this week to watch. Um, so before it was always like you know they always said crowded summer sket release schedule. There, there is no crowded summer release schedule here. So it, it's Suicide Squad is competing against itself this weekend. You know, I mean, it's a crowded streaming schedule. That's actually what it is. It's yeah. like there's all these things coming out on streaming. Yeah, and and I, I'm I'm still not entirely certain. I mean, the 
Disney's doing, they're releasing the numbers for, for like Black Widow and, and this one, um, not this one, but um, a Jungle Cruise. And, you know, they're selectively releasing numbers for their streaming premiere access stuff. Um, it's not, I thought it was going to be 50%, like a 50-50 kind of type cut. It's it, it's not. I mean, it's making good money for them, the streaming service. But it's, you know, when you when you consider per, per uh, item sold. Uh, the tickets, there's more people buying tickets than there are, you know, buying Disney Plus Premier Access well, to, to a, watch at home. A, a Premier Access is, is household-based, right? It's like yeah, it, it is household-based. Uh, you go to see fireworks or whatever, and they charge by the car. Or um, um, the drive-ins are this way sometimes. Right. So, But but they're still not getting, at like, 50-50 people. If you said, like, if you're saying about, three on average, three per Disney Premier Access viewing, which would be $30, $10 a ticket. Uh, they're not getting that's an interesting question that's an interesting question i don't have an answer to like what's the Uh, ratio of but but like what's the amount of people typically that watch a rental movie like i'm sure amazon has well they don't know right it's it's not nielsen right you don't have you'd have to collect survey data but like amazon has been doing selling rental movies for years so they would have more numbers on this than disney i would expect the numbers for Disney to be higher than, um, what? Maybe, probably than Amazon, right? It's more families, much fewer yeah. um, individuals. I'm comparing it in my mind to stuff like pay per view from back in the day. But I know even yeah. with, um, yeah. yeah, even with pay per view, when you talk about like sporting events, uh, boxing, and and that kind of thing, people would throw parties. Right? Yeah, so that's, that's, what even, I was that's say, skewing right. the numbers even higher than than your typical Disney Plus. Like, I doubt too many people are renting a Disney Plus movie and then having thirty people over, especially that, now because yes. part of the whole reason you're watching streaming movies is to right. avoid uh, excessive uh, public, inter, you know, contact. I mean, that's um, that's exactly that's a really good thing to say about that. I think that saying, but that, if you're comparing, right, if you're comparing uh, um, box office numbers with streaming numbers you want some at least like general average of what that ratio is like would you expect box office like ticket sales to be three ticket sales for every one streaming sale somewhere around there yeah. i'm just making that number up but um yeah, i mean either, either way they're they're ch- their charging price has got to end up being where they're making about the same amount of money right per person Mm-hmm. is where their, their goal is so when you when they release let's say disney says black widow releases and they, it makes they don't have the numbers in front of me but if it made 10 million dollars and the, and the movie made 30 million dollars they would the, the only way if their numbers and pricing structure is right uh streaming was one third the amount of people watch streaming than uh the actual hollywood thing the other variable i'll throw in here too is if you stream something and you have you give people direct access to watch in their home I would imagine that the ability to pirate said material is much easier. And therefore, I I don't know what percentage of people that is, but people are savvy enough now that, you know, you find these on torrent sites. So that is the quality of that is going to be so much higher than somebody who took a camcorder into a a movie theater and tried to record it. So, again, that opens that market up much faster, which I'm sure affects the numbers in some capacity. I, I I bet you that's that's widely understated. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I honestly do believe I I know more 
than a handful, more than I can count on one hand of people that, that watch it that way and have watched Jungle Cruise and have watched um, uh, Black Widow and, and have watched Suicide Squad this week that way. Um, and those are people that would have gone out and paid for it, you know, because we were all be talking yeah. about it and we're on in Facebook Messenger and we're all talking about stuff I'm like, oh, I got to go watch that. And they would make time and they would go and watch it. But they're like, oh, I can get it over on this. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, some of that's some of that's, again, skewed higher by, you know, social or social is the wrong word, but like pandemic issues. Um, But yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a that's a significant factor. Yeah. So so that that comes back to my original topic of is it fair to count numbers, whether to say a movie is a success? Is it a good movie before we we could at least have some measure of, oh, my God, it made 500 million this weekend. It may not be a good movie, but it's interesting to watch because there's, it made enough people to come in and see it. There was at least that talking point, and people seem I to mean, want to make that same talking point now. It's like, well, nobody's going to go watch it. It must be bad. I'm like, that's not a fair thing to say. Um, sure. I mean, good or bad is oh, complicated, right? It's like, who are yeah. you asking and what? Yes. which question is it? I mean, that's the part of the reason we have these two, at least two metrics of, of success for a film, like financial and artistic or popular. Even yeah. yeah, there's three right there. Like yeah, you know, critic score, audience score, box office numbers. Those are three completely different things. Sure, uh, you know, sure. popular score is probably pretty closely tied with with box office numbers, just from a uh, a kind of classist perspective. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but, sure. Um, yeah. So so moving on, we want to plug uh, the fact that before we even ask you, Fox, about your thoughts, plug that you have a review for this online. People should go. Uh, watch that you want to say where that's where they can get their review of your suicide yes i am i am the resident senior film critic uh of lrm online it's exactly as it says lrmonline.com uh i think i have a like a blog channel thing you can find my review there um as as these two people know my reviews are always spoiler free and they intend to educate you the audience on whether or not you would like this particular movie so i don't get into my own personal feelings i don't get into what i thought was good or bad but i try to highlight you know if you like this then you'll like that if you're not a fan of these particular aspects you may want to stay away from it or at least prepare yourself yeah. going into it so that's my that's my um my pitch for the way in which i write reviews my hope is that you read it and say yeah i would go see that or no i'm not going to go see that or to use dennis's favorite phrases now I know how to manage my expectations. <laughs> right. Which is, by the way, not the way we're going to talk about it tonight. We're, no, we're, no. We're, that's the thing. That's why I love coming on this show because I could be like, yeah, let me tell you what I really think. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, so nice. you did give it – you gave it a B plus, I believe, right? This, the, the Suicide Squad, correct? Yes, I did. And I will say, if I may, just because you asked the question, my letter grade of a film is the least interesting thing I think about a review. I understand yeah. it's, a, it's something that my sure. editors – require me to do but it's a lot it's a lot arbitrary that's not yeah. really good english there but that that makes sense to a lot of people it's so subjective you're not yeah. going to get aggregated into rotten tomatoes if you don't have some score exactly. even if it's a binary <laughs> score like siskel and ebert had back then. yeah yes well, exactly so you're you're in the you are in the above 50 percent check mark on the on the critic score i would there. be and that's a, that's a Michael, you just put forth a really excellent point that I want to talk about here. And I've said this maybe on your show before. The problem with Rotten Tomatoes is that it is a binary scale. Yeah. And so what's fascinating is you take people who have a 
larger Likert scale of some sort of like, you know, like to dislike. And all they have to do is put it above average. It could be yeah. one point above yeah. average and it gets counted as a fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And therefore you Three get out of five, six out right. of ten. Exactly. It's all counted as cr- the critic, uh, a critic liked. And critics are pressured, I'm assumed, to make at least a six out of ten. Like, you know, right. they're really so, dogging a thing if they put five on it. So the problem probably depends is, on the on the magazine or whatever. Exactly. So so you get something like where Raiders of the Lost Ark comes in at ninety eight percent. If you read those reviews, they talk about how iconic it is and what a cultural phenomenon it is. It's five out of five and A A plus, et cetera, right. et cetera. And as a huge Rotten Tomatoes score, then you get something like the Suicide Squad, which is high 90s. It's because no one really thought anything was drastically wrong with it to bomb it. Right. Um, but it doesn't mean right. it's nearly at, at the great levels of cultural significance and masterclass filmmaking as, yeah. say, Jaws or yeah. as, say, hmm. Casablanca. But you get similar yeah. scores. So anyway, I'll, let me pause there because I, I can go on <laughs> well, and on. I, I th- that. Something I, I agree, and I think that that's one one of the few reasons. There's several reasons, but one of the reasons why a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is never holds any weight for me. Not not because to put critics down, it's that they just don't see that that scores on Rotten Tomato don't seem to jive with almost anything, except for sometimes when it bombs on a critics thing. It's usually always critics are high and and uh, audiences are low. It's rare that the the critics are bombing something. And they, you actually see a like a thirty percent, and you see a ninety percent over on, on audiences. It's usually the audience can tank it a lot easier than than a um, than they will buoy it up, I guess. Um, so I would I like to go towards the audience score because those people don't have you know any scruples about putting a two on something, or most of the time they'll just put ones because they don't know any difference between one and ten. Um, it just more but... closely aligns with what you're looking for out of a movie experience. Yeah, for sure. You, you personally. Well, not not just not just that. Like it says, when Fox comes to a thing, I should I shouldn't use you as an example because I don't know your specific you know uh, editorial review process. But some some magazines will be like, man, we get free copies, and you know, and these people aren't going to start sending us uh, copies of their video games or their movies to review unless we at least give them something good to think of about it, and we put at least a six on there. Um, and you, you know, you can trash it, but we don't go below a five. Right. And, and I realize that in the aggregate, when you put that on Rotten Tomatoes, that's just going to it's going to buoy half or 30 percent of the editor of the reviews up. Whereas that there's none of that for audience reviews that nobody's paying the audience to do that. So I'll pull back the curtain on this. And Dennis has seen this firsthand because he he was an awesome um, play tester with me at Gen Con. And we met lots of different publishers and he got to see these interactions firsthand. Um, I'll pull back the curtain on that a little bit because I think it varies medium to medium. I think with movies, <clears throat> I think there's a little bit more forgiveness because you don't often deal with the studios directly. Usually mm. you deal with a marketing agency and they want they are representing the company, but you're not going to – I'm not talking to James Gunn yeah. and saying, oh, thank you for giving me your movie personally, Mr. Gunn. Right. Now read my review. I have to go through an intermediary. With publishers for board games, it's a more direct relationships, And I've had – publishers tell me hey please don't write a review if it's gonna like totally tell say it's gonna be the worst thing ever yeah and i understand and respect that now my philosophy i think again going back to what i said before varies a little bit because i really do and this is totally naive and i'm sorry for that but everyone likes every game in some capacity if you're the right format i mean sure. that's not a perfect format but that's why i say that i write my reviews to say 
I'm going to try and make sure you understand whether or not you particularly like this. So I don't lead you astray. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like some people like clue and sorry and right. That's, there's a reason they sell. And so there's a way of framing a review to say, if you like these mechanics and if you, I'm going to say this in a way that sounds not nice, but if you don't like deep games or (laughs) games that may, may end up you murdering your friends and family because the rules are so frustrating, you may like these games. There are yeah. people who do. And so, you know, the same can be true. Of- right. Okay, so let's go into real quick spoilers. We have talked a lot about this ratings things, and I, and I do like the rating things. But, uh, Dennis, can we do spoiler bells for um, Suicide Squad? The, Sorry, the Suicide, the Suicide Squad. Squad. God, I really hate that, by the way. I yeah. really hate that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about we're gonna talk about the 2021 sequel to Suicide Squad called The Suicide Squad. How, how dumb is that? Why, why do they do that? They're doing The Batman, too. Can, can Warner Brothers... <laughs> Can Warner Brothers be the worst company for it's just or DC in general? It's just terrible with knowing what the hell goes on. Okay, you know in our lifetime we'll see a movie called The Superman. It's going to drive us crazy. It's going to drive us crazy. Okay, so uh, we we kind of get Fox's. If you don't know Fox's initial ideas on things, go 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 read his article now and come back. Um, but um, mm-hmm. I I had a good time. I thought I was thought it was really pretty fun. It. Uh, I think I'd mentioned to you guys that I don't think it's one of those ones that I'm like, oh my gosh, go out and watch it. This guy's right now. Throw your money at it. This is going to be the best movie of the year. Uh, that sounds like I'm putting it down, but it's not. I think it's a fun time that I had a really good time. I did not feel like I was wasting it. I was chuckling throughout the whole thing usually. Um, when it when it started to get a little slow, it intentionally stopped being slow. Like there's times when they, they would go into their personal stories, which is like, oh my God, this is, this is a terrible thing that they're doing, wasting time on, you know, almost grown worthy, but they only spent like 45 seconds on it. And then they went on to the next thing. You're like, mm-hmm. okay. We're, and it almost played to a little fun sometimes, you know? Uh, so I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I, I kept thinking, I, I kept seeing several scenes that in a different director's hands would have just been awful would have made the movie like this is just terrible this is just dumb and boring with like three jokes that i like uh but gun just kept pacing and casting and people on track and fresh the whole way through and i really had a good time watching it again i'm not giving it a 90 percent rave review but um fun is the most important thing for me when i go to a theater and i felt i felt like it was pretty fun sure sure what do you think dennis uh yeah, I I watched this today at home on HBO. Um, fun is definitely the word I would use. Um, I'll say this, I don't know, it's probably not any kind of uh, uh, revelatory insight, but it was, I think, the most Marvel DC movie we've gotten. <laughs> Fair. Right. And yeah. I mean, just from like from the soundtrack to the jokes, to the pacing, to some of the some of the secondary casting i was like this hey you, you know this guy did Mar- like, guardians it, of the galaxy right right <laughs> that's that's exactly the point that i'm making like right it it maybe ne- it wasn't necessarily going to be that way right like directors make different styles of movies right in different in different genres and things mm-hmm. but it felt like a lot like n- not even necessarily guardians like the portrayal of um king shark Felt a little bit like um, Hulk in in uh, you know Joss Whedon's Avengers. Yeah, um, a lot of the the relationships, the kind of um, um, like reluctant leader kind of thing in um, in Idris Elba's character. Uh, a lot of that. I don't know. 
you know, it's probably not fair to say just that much about it because there's a lot, um, there's a lot of this that that uh, is, is its own thing. Um, yeah. As I think Fox said in his review, there are elements of kind of Deadpool esque humor, a lot of just mm-hmm. you know ridiculous violence, you know stuff oh, Tarantino yeah. wouldn't even do. Maybe maybe Tarantino. Well, their, um, their their attack on the village is a perfect case of that, right? When they when they attack the village, and it's just yeah, gratuitous yeah, violence. That was for, a, that's Deadpool right there. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun kind of like um, that's the thing that that we we talked about uh, around showing my mom the the Marvel movies. How you can watch something and you feel an emotion that you don't like, right? You feel impatient, you feel frustrated, and sometimes that's because the movie's bad. And other times it's because the movie and the director want you to feel that way because there's something going to pay off, right? There's some mystery. And I was like, who is that? Right. Who's that guy with, you know, it's, it's Winter Soldier. It's Bucky. And we're like, we're not going to mm-hmm. tell you. They're going to show it in like two scenes and then it'll be gratifying. <laughs> yeah. um, and that whole village sequence had that sort of thing. Like first you're along for the ride kind of joking with, um, Idris Elba and John Cena and their sort of uh, competition for kills at this sort of Gimli uh, Legolas kind of thing. And then gradually the people that they're killing become less and less hostile. Like they start (laughs) out pretty not hostile. Like the first guy you see is unarmed. Yeah. What is going on? And then you're distracted by this competition thing. And then it's like a woman doing dishes and singing. And yeah. it gets more and more, and then they they get to the they get to that tent with um, uh, what's that guy's Rick Flag name? In it. He had a memorable name. Yeah, Rick Flag. Already forgotten it. The guy who was in Alter Rick Carbon. Flag. Oh, I don't know. Joel Kinnaman. Flag. Yeah. Kinnaman. Yeah. Like Rick uh, Flag. Yeah. Like the stand. Um, yeah. Except that was. Except that. Yeah, was, I kept calling him Randall Flag accidentally. <laughs> Randall Flag, yeah, Randall Rick Flag. Flag. Not him, yeah, but close. That's what, quick, that's what quick side means. point. I'm. I, it's. I. I was actually really amazed that they kill him off because Rick Flag is one of the staples of the comic book. I've not been a big comic book uh, Suicide Squad comic book fan, but I know he's the one that's hmm. led the team. It's like killing Cyclops off of X Men. You're like, what? 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 And they did it kind of just, you know. It's, oh yeah, it's just another one of the deaths that kind of happened. Um, and they kept Peacemaker alive for his Peacemaker show, which is. You know, because John Cena, people like John Cena. Uh, anyway, oh, the, that, uh, I knew I knew I had another Marvel reference. Yeah. It's how John <laughs> Cena was a funnier, um, not Captain America than uh, than the guy in um, than the guy in Falcon and Winter Soldier. John, just like up, yeah, 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 US like agent, a, like a yeah. parody, like a parody of of Captain America. Yeah, yeah. John so, Walker, right? John Walker, right? Yeah. Very, yeah, uh, things I, I liked, I liked that I liked that were, were funny about this movie was was that uh, the competition type thing that they did. Um, I, I liked the Mortal Kombat esque gratuity on it because like he was going to go for it, he just went for it. You know, I mean, you see King Shark mm-hmm. do all King Shark stuff. Um, I still, you know, I I, 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 I did have fun this show, but I wanted to go home right away and watch Harley Quinn. Cause I like King shark so much and I like Harley Quinn and yeah. I'm going to reinforce what Fox said. Uh, this is the best uh, Harley Quinn we've seen on, on film. And I think she's was great. Um, it was, she was well-written and Margot Robbie is Margot Robbie's great in that role. You know, I think she just had too much. I think she really wants to do good by that. I think she yeah. really cares about it and understands there's a fan base that yeah. 
you know, for a while, Harley Quinn got to be overly sexualized, especially in the era of cons and things like that. Yeah. And recently, that character has been taken back first, but actually by the Arkham video games, I would say. And then mm-hmm. m- much more recently, the the excellent Harley Quinn show, which empowers her. The animated yeah. series. Yeah. Yeah. So so I I give I give that I give Gunn a little bit of credit. I give Robbie most of that credit. because I think she drives sure. the pathos yeah. of that character. I, I think that um, I've, I've hey. never been a believer that Harley is a is a solo mo- movie person. The reason I, and I know that they made Birds of Prey, it's an ensemble cast, but it really wasn't. That was like 80. Oh, it was the Harley Quinn movie. Harley I actually Quinn. would have been better if they marketed it that way. Well, that, that, yes, that. right, right. Mm-hmm. But the thing was is that I think Harley Quinn works as an ensemble. Like she works as a character that's mm-hmm. alongside Nightwing or a character that's alongside, um, you know, anybody else. Uh, when she's in, with King Shark and all of her team on the thing and, and Poison Ivy, she's great when she's Following not Shazam the only around, one constantly talking. Yeah, so she yeah. yeah, she's definitely I mean she can be a lead, but she's just gotta have everybody else to play off of. And she did great in this one. There's a perfect example. Like and she was actually great mm. in the first one where she's she's the wacky, crazy thing. By the way, that's one of my favorite scenes is when she shoots the, the guy. I love that they just keep killing the main person off all the time. That was fantastic. Like she falls in love mm. with him. Sydney kept looking at me, that whole love scene was like, What is happening, Dad? What what is even going on here? There's like she's falling in love out of some out of nowhere after she's getting tortured, and then all of a sudden she that just was shoots one him. of my favorite scenes, especially her little monologue right after, where she was basically like, "No, I'm done with guys like you. Like you talk about killing kids, right. and that's yeah. that's a that's a deal breaker. That's a that red flag. And the, I'm always looking that's for a red, red flag. flag. <laughs> that's she, some big. Yeah. That's some big uh, Marvel style uh, James Gunn timing comedic timing right because yeah, he's right. telling the story about the um the tower of uh, the juggernaut or no what it's called that yeah jotunheim the jotunheim, jotunheim, jotunheim yeah jotunheim, and how like it starts with this thing and and there's corruption and then there's revolution and then it's that little bit of like you know former egalitarian rebel becomes corrupt leader that we've seen over and over in history and it gets like a little bit more sinister a little more sin and then done like yeah Okay, and she just, enough of that. Just now for, murders now for him. some jokes. Yeah, yeah. There, as soon as it got a little bit serious, there, he she like murders him, and then she says her little monologue on top of there. I, I did like the. Uh, I always told myself that uh, if I ever got another boyfriend, I look for red flags, and if I saw any, I'd murder him. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And she's like, when you start talking about children, killing kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it was the it was the great reminder that she's crazy. Like she's a crazy person. Um, and as much as you during during the first two movies and somewhat in the in the comic book too, you kind of want her and Rick Flag to kind of have a thing um, because they're really good friends and they have that kind of a, a, a mm-hmm. attraction to each other. But here's I thought the thing, that like, was going to happen. I really thought that was going to happen. There were a few okay, yeah. nods to that, but never quite. Well, the, the thing know. is, is that like when right. that happens, I always think like, no, Rick Flag would know that she's freaking crazy. Like he would make one mistake and she'd shoot him in the head. Like, it's not like you could break up with a girlfriend like Harley Quinn. Right. Yeah. Right? She, she's yeah. insane. <laughs> right. Which, and again, in birds and prey or birds of prey, she didn't seem like she was, I mean, she was a little, she blew up a thing, but she was just like a, not as, as insane as, as she is in this movie, which is, was just great. I mean, just, just, great. I think it's a fair point. Yeah. So anyway, I, I did like all of it. Um, I did like Cena's character. I like how he kind of turned bad, I guess. Uh, but I don't know how they're, why they're. I thought he was 
one of the most developed characters. I found yeah. myself very compelled by him the entire way through. Hmm. And he made me laugh and it, he said some interesting things and obviously he's jingoistic, but like yeah. I I found myself being like, yeah, I understand why you could make a show about this person. Yeah. You would watch out of morbid curiosity because he's so charismatic. Hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and to see his take on things um that are exaggerated hyperbolic viewpoints yeah. that we have in our society today with the it whole like i'll kill as many man woman and children to keep the yeah. peace right yeah i love peace so much mm-hmm. i'll kill as many men and women kids as they have to in order to achieve it yeah. is a great line that is it's, a great no line yeah so it summarizes him but he and he delivers it really well yeah and um it, it, it cheers good hats off to gun for polka dot man like what the mm. heck, man, right? Like, they, they made it where when he said, like, I'm a superhero, Sid and I both had a, oh, when, it, when it, after that happened, and he got Dave Dismalshin. Yeah, yeah, who is no stranger to the DC Universe. Let's let's go back in time. Dave Dismalshin is the sniper in The Dark Knight um, under yes, the Joker's yeah, yes. tutelage yeah. who gets, who gets uh, beat up and interrogated in the alley by Harvey Dent. He's done all kinds of things. He was an Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. He's done the voice of many characters in the animated series, but yeah. not the animated series, but the animated movies for Batman, including right. um, a young Falcone. He's done Penguin. Uh, he's done Calendar Man. So he is a staple within the DC universe and does excellent work here as Polka Dot. Yeah, he, he, he really does. And uh, the only question I have about the crew is um, how is Ratcatcher 2 in Bell Reef? I, I don't, I mean, she stole some watches maybe with her rats. And then they put her in Supermax prison, and she only has a device, <laughs> right? <laughs> Did they just give her the device that she keeps to carry around with? I don't understand how she's in, like, Max Supermax prison. She but. was good, though, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, she's, like, definitely a good person, good guy, good thing. It's like, you wouldn't think a judge would be like, okay, you maybe got, you know, the wrong side of the stick. Let's put you in Supermax for her life, you know? It's weird. But that that was a weird character. But this this show is not about, this movie is not about like making sense of things. You're not supposed to do that at all. Like mm-hmm. the first, the first scene intentionally did that, by the way, man, he, the James Gunn just want to murder the old crew right off. Like when he kills captain boomerang with no problem. And he kills his buddy, Nathan filling off TDK at the beginning, which was pretty great. Nathan Fillion. Uh, um, Oh shoot. The English guy. I, his name was right there in my head. I got Michael Rooker. He kills off right away. Is that who you're talking uh, about? Pete Davidson from, from SNL. Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't remember his character's name, but yeah. I mean, they had, I guess the, those are all real DC characters. I went and looked back and looked, and I was like, yeah, those are those are like the weasels, a real character, and Polka Dot Man's a real character. Like, man, these, these DC writers just did oh, not yeah. know I, what was I happening. I believe that 100%. In like 90 years of comic books or whatever DC has had, like, I'm sure all yeah. of these showed up at some point. It, it is great that the gun can be like, just give me, I don't care what you give me. Anyone I can kill. You just, they, you know, I don't care. Just give them all to me. And they they were like, good for it. Okay. So anyway, yeah, I, I liked uh, Suicide Squad. I, it was fun. Uh, I think it's worth watching. And this is the one that I've been saying, something I've been saying late, lately is uh, consider whether you should go to a theater or not. I think you can enjoy this at home. I don't necessarily, I know Starro is big and it's a big city action scene, but I don't think that matters. I don't think as to, to say parlance, I don't think size matters here at all. Yeah, I saw it in the movie theater, actually. It's the first movie I've seen in a theater in a long, long time. And I would agree with that. I think Gunn really leans into his dialogue and his character mm. development here. And so 
you don't need there's no action sequence in this film that I'm like, oh, you gotta see this because the action is actually a conduit to the humor, as we sort of talked about before. Yeah. Like I thought one of the sure. best action sequences when exactly what you said, when Peacemaker and um and Bloodsport are mowing down people in this village and the, the punchline, sorry to spoil you this, is like they go to save they go to save Rick Flag and the woman is like Oh well, let me just go alert my crew. Did you see them as you came in? Like they're all mm-hmm. on their side. They just wiped out the whole, yeah, the whole that's, village. That's the point of that thing. Yeah, how they were killed is unnecessary. Um, yeah. So actually, I'll say this to your point, Mike, Michael, because I, I this is the thing that I struggle with, and I would love to hear your all thoughts on it. Gun is clearly going for I think a triangulation of three things. It's you know obviously comedic humor. It's character depth on the other end where it's like you know he does a little bit of the surrogate father routine with blood sport and and Ratcatcher 2 mm. and then there's the mm. gratuitous violence and i will say obviously deadpool is the first movie series to put out this formula and do it rather successfully maybe more yeah. so in one than two it's up for debate i will say for me i found the violence to be almost distracting after a while Sure. Because yeah. I didn't find the comedy strong enough to counterweight it. Did either yeah. of you run mm. into that? And yeah. I wonder, and as a caveat, I wonder if it's because I saw it on the big screen and the the disgusting elements were big and large and in my yeah. face. Let me ask that question. I, I could see that. Yeah. I I watched it on my computer, and as I sometimes do, whether I can help it or not, if I'm on my computer, I'll occasionally, like, slide the window to one side and open up IMDb to look somebody up and try to figure out what the thing they were in. It's, I mean, I do the same thing with my phone when I'm watching a movie on the TV, but uh, not something I do in theater uh, because of the light of the room. <laughs> right. But you would if you um, could, Dennis. <laughs> so I'll say there were definitely segments of the movie where I'm like, okay, they're just talking. I can tab this over mm-hmm. and mostly listen to it. Um and then action starts happening again, and I'm back over watching. I think, yeah, I could see that. I can see that um, that judgment on it. The thing, the thing that I think of with that question is that I kept waiting for um, the king shark thing to be a ruse. Maybe that's because my only knowledge of king shark is from the animated series. Sure, sure. But I, I kept like. From the minute his character is introduced, I'm like, oh, he's this is an act. He's doing a dumb act. Yeah. And then at some point we're gonna oh. get the How you expect we're gonna it? get the that's my secret captain, I'm always angry kind of thing where he's actually super not smart. As, yeah. Maybe not super smart, but not as dumb as he's acting. Yeah, I d I don't I don't think that was the character. I think he no. that's what he's supposed to be. Well, I think I'm, Harley Quinn I think Harley just, Quinn has taken it a different way, not the reverse. I think yeah, yeah, was right. Yeah, yeah, but, I, but the violence, the violence didn't bother you. Did yeah, so no one I, else thought it was gross. No, that, I, I, mean, I agree. I kind of agree with that. I mean, I don't, I don't need yeah. to have that in in a movie. I liked that they did it. I like like at the first scene when they're chopping off legs and there's heads fly slicing off. Like, okay, cool, that's what we're doing. Um, and then it just doesn't care after a while. Like you just keep doing it, and especially when you don't have it for a while, and like, oh, now they chopped off the head again. Like, okay, we didn't really need that. I, I mean, it's fine. But really, they need it. And you're right. Like, by the time that scene when he rips that guy, King Shark rips the guy in half, 
was in the trailer that everybody talked about. Like, oh my God, they mm-hmm. ripped it off. But by the time that happened, and he was also, that's when King Shark starts chewing on heads. He's already kind of done the gross stuff already a bunch anyway. It's not like it matters. By mattered. the time that thing happened with the, with the bus and the rain and him ripping, I was like, oh, here's all of the scenes they shot to put in the trailer. Yeah. But I even um, found the Starro bit where like you're, Digging in through the eye, maybe that's me. I got to think with eyes. I got glasses, yeah. like you know, yeah. like stab, like stabbing through the middle of the eye, and then like ripping. I, I, I almost think that some of that, though. I mean, I don't think some. I think actually all of it is very intentional. I think who was it you, Dennis, that it wrote and that it's very rat. Like if you've got a rat phobia, this is a terror movie for you. Uh, well, yeah, and it was it was well while I got to that sequence. I'm like, they're just running over him and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, I don't have a a rodent phobia i don't like any kind of small crawling anything yeah uh uh, very much but um yeah the none of that stuff about the eye happened the way that i that i anticipated i did not expect her to just float right into it like it's water yeah yeah. um no no. that was very strange and the the off-putting thing to me was before that when um they're all shooting at king shark and you you see the guy's head as he is chewing it, it's like his yeah. head is in yeah. his yeah. mouth. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I, this is I will say I have a feeling that's us. And the reason I say that is, is like, you know, uh, 30s, 45 year old people that, you know, that's like, oh, we've seen it. It's not a big deal. But it's the same thing as a Mortal Kombat type thing. You know, people like it. They want to keep seeing it. It's but you're expecting value. that. You're expecting that from Mortal like You go into Mortal Kombat, right. I feel like you're asking for fatalities. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, 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 that's what, but that's what James Gunn was doing. He was like, we're going to go, and we're going to go all out, and we're going to go the worst. Like, I, maybe James Gunn or knows somebody or has somebody with a rat-type phobia, and he's like, if I have a rat phobia, this is the most terrifying, horrible thing. I can only imagine if he did spiders. I'm a spy. I'm an arachnophobic person. So if he did spiders, he would probably make me not want to do it so over the top that I couldn't look at the screen. And I know that if I was a rat person there, I would have been having nightmares about this movie forever. And and I'm just thinking he just did it because yeah. of extreme. He was just going extreme. Yeah, he didn't need it, but I know what he was doing. That's kind of his thing. I feel it's kind of an interesting. So I have a question for you. Yeah. So one of the things we heard about this film was that James Gunn was given complete creative freedom to make the film he wanted. If you look at James Gunn's earlier work, I'm talking pre Guardians of the Galaxy, he had done a superhero Mm. movie called Super. It actually had Nathan Fillion in it, it had Alan Page, it had Rain Wilson in it, and there were these Mm. superheroes who put did justice in their own very violent manner, like almost like um, the boys are invincible. Anyway, I look at Guardians of the Galaxy and I find that to be more cohesive and more engaging. Yes. Do you think that James Gunn does better under the Marvel umbrella where he has boundaries and focus? Mm-hmm. Or would you prefer to see more Gunn like this where he gets basically complete carte blanche to do whatever he wants? Oh, I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, Mike D, you answer first. What do you think? Which gun would you prefer going forward? That, that's that's a well it's super subjective i mean it's also gets into that big question of like some people say no creative freedom should be within the artist and let them do their things and you like whatever they give and don't go within a rain other people can say uh there's a reason that, that we have you know some kind of boundaries that we have to put on the product that we're going to sell 
and that's why they do it. And, and if people will point to that's why Warner Brothers has made terrible movies is because they put reins on people and <laughs> don't allow them to make their own movie. And every director that's worked, well, not every director, but most, a lot of directors that work for Warner Brothers will say that exact same thing. Well, I made a movie, but then they, you know, the bean counters come in and then they, they, they decide they have to change so many rules. Um, DC does that with their comic books too, by the way, or Warner does. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, so I, I don't know. I, would I rather, what, what would I rather see? I would rather see an artist make uh, a director, make their kind of movie. And if it's terrible, I don't like to watch it. Um, I liked <laughs> this guardians movies better than suicide squad. No question. So, so if I, uh, he, do, he probably does do better with the light handed touch of Marvel, because I think Marvel had Feige and in, in, in specific has a lighter touch. Feige is, uh, the way I've heard directors talk about it is that he's got the iron things, but he sets those up right up front. I, I, Taika Waititi talked on an interview where he was like, yeah, I'm doing a movie for Marvel. They were very upfront about exactly what they're going to do. And then they want everything else is there is mine. He's like, you I, I, I have yeah, these we'll, rules. We'll put in the mileposts. You have to hit these story points. I don't care how you get from story point to story point. Yeah. And, and you make it yours from then on. And, and obviously they'll come back and say, Oh no, you can't have, you know, um, uh, Michael Rooker screwing a, a goat in the corner. You could, you know, you, you can't have some things, obviously they're not going to let you do, um, but they will uh, still have a light feathery touch on most things as we're, as we're Warner brothers, the way I understand their process to work in general is that they have producers that are there all the time. They're in the script room. They're on, on reviewing the, the dailies uh, and then they're in post. So, it's it's a difficult situation where they're always doing it, and that's that's been by the way since uh, the '70s with DC kind of stuff. They've always had over their IP, Warner Brothers and IP have had very very hard nosed control, even to the fact that Superman must always have the little Jerry curl on his thing. I mean, they're very very uh, uh, reined in on that. So so the fact that you said they let Gunn do this, and I've read that too, is a really weird thing. And I think that's a reason why Suicide Squad's one of their better movies because they haven't had that direct. Should they do that for everybody? Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, they did that with Snyder, right? And Snyder kind of made the murder verse. Dennis? Dennis? Yeah, I mean, I think the, <laughs> like, like most things, I think the ideal is somewhere in the balance. Um, it's funny, I'm, I think I mentioned this to Fox in a, in a direct message earlier, I'm watching an anime called uh, uh, Re- Remake. I don't remember if the pronoun is plural or not. And I don't think Japanese has that concept, so it would be just in the translation. But I'm watching an anime about a guy who um, wakes up to find himself 10 years younger uh, in the past when he's just starting college and is dissatisfied with his life in the present. And so he decides to go into art school and some of the things that he does there are make student films and learn how to interact with himself being a producer, another uh, a guy being the writer, a girl being an, uh, the on-screen talent, and, and one an artist doing storyboards, and how those roles interact, and you have um, these limitations. I think if you... And again, so just, I mean, there's... I can say it in a more complicated way, but really all I'm saying is, <laughs> is I think the ideal is somewhere in the balance. If you have an artist, and of course there are exceptions to every rule, but most artists have, you know, big ideas. They have creative vision and that's good. Obviously you need that for a creative work, but 
what they often don't have are, um, you know, some of the other things you need, like being able to stick to um, a runtime or a schedule or uh, whatever. And obviously, those are really extreme examples. But you know, <clears throat> Peter you Jackson, have... sorry, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, the, I mean, that's the that's the narrative we tell of the Star Wars prequels, where the original uh, Star Wars trilogy was so beloved by that point that um, mm. there was nobody to challenge any of George Lucas's mm. really terrible ideas for the prequels. And yes. Yeah. For the for the prequels, and so we ended up with this. Uh, you know, film is probably not the only because music can be this way too but film is the most collaborative art form and so i think you get the best you get the best movie with elements of both yeah you you guys um, should w- go watch go back and watch like the making of it's on the blu-ray discs of the prequels like the making of uh phantom menace mm-hmm. the behind the scenes kind of documentary um mm-hmm. It's it's not a an unbiased thing. It's like by Lucasfilm or whoever made it. <laughs> um, but um, it's it's really really it's really interesting. Only from the simple fact that you now we know removed from it and how it's not great and all the stuff you look back, you can look at how it all went wrong. Like oh oh they what they're saying here is totally not the right choice. But they're like oh we're so <laughs> we're so excited about the look of this new character and he's goofy and he's thinking you're like and everyone's gonna love it and they're like yes yes that's so great and you're like no this is all wrong and I can watch this documentary and see this documentary's wrong like this this what they're saying here is you know they're they're, they're just looking at George and saying you know oh just Mr. Yes, Mr., Mr. yes George, Lord you know? uh, yeah <laughs> and and back then. Yeah. When it was made, and, I, and I'm not putting the down the filmmakers of the documentary, it's just that, or the making of people, it's just that, you know, that's what you think, you know, you, that's what they were all thinking at the time. So we're, we're digressing off that thing, but that's an example of movie makers giving too much control. And Dennis, I like that you brought that up. That's a perfect example of, uh, in that case, you have the, the, you know, the president making the, the movie instead of, you know, who should make the movie. Uh, hey, we're, since we're coming out on time here, let's, let's talk about a, a different movie on here. Let's go to our weekly challenge uh, thing. Dennis, what do you think? All right. This week we watched uh, Much Ado About Nothing, the 2012 version by Joss Whedon. Um, Which there is multiple. I didn't really. I mean, I knew I knew of the play, but I didn't know there was other movies made of this one until I, I started watching right. it. Um, if you if you listened to our last week's show, I was not sure off the top of my head that this was a Shakespeare um, original work. Uh, I yeah. thought that it, I thought that it was, but I was like, "Oh, wait a second! Is this is this something else? Is this uh, a, a you know Beowulf or?" And no, of course. I mean, you can watch two seconds of this movie and and spot it as Shakespeare right away by the uh, very awkward, ridiculous way that they talk. I I actually I got to say I, when I I agree I did not think that this what this was either that they were doing that and then for the first minute and a half i thought oh they're doing a joke they're doing like it's a because it's a, from a shakespeare <laughs> play and they're just doing it and they're all gonna laugh like ha, ha, ha. and then it kept going and that's when i i was texting you guys like is this this they're gonna keep talking like this um which is it's fine that i know I'm, it sounds like i'm putting it down but that's uh i said I've, I've seen the original play and i i can tell you this was uh what do you call it is that called old english what even is that kind of yeah. speak prose 
Is that old English? Yeah. Shakespearean English. Did, did they actually? It's yeah, yeah but before, on the nose, before but... Shakespeare was around, they actually talked that way. So it couldn't be called Shakespearean English, right? Is there a... <laughs> uh, they talked a that way a little bit. But, I mean, and I don't know if this is apocryphal, but Shakespeare is supposed to have invented hundreds of words. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Well. So I, th- I think it's some combination of language at the time and his own personal uh, affectation. Oh, well, we must needs find out. Uh, we, we have to, um, so look at that movie and say kind of it's, it's in that, that prose, but I, I will say having watched the play, I watched it, I I watched it in person when not like on a movie or anything. Um, and it was well performed in, in live because like it's a theater in a park type thing, but man, I did not find it as interesting as this movie. Not that this movie was like, oh my God, so great. But I followed every minute of it. Like I followed every minute of this show. And I say that's because the actors, I think the actors were, every one of them were so phenomenal. I think I mentioned in our little Mm. chat here was that, uh, uh, I didn't have to know what they were saying. Like just a few words peeked out here and there, their acting wasn't necessarily overacting, but when a guy is happy, he's, he, the actor just has, has a, it's probably just casting. He has good facial features. He does face acting, his voice movements. He, he grabs hold of somebody, um, or when somebody is scared, they have a look of fear. Or there's a scene when Beatrice is hiding; she doesn't, you know, want to be seen. She goes underneath the, the cabin. It's just you can see by their their actions what this show was about, um, which made it so much more enjoyable uh, all the way through. And it it brought out the characters and who they were. Um, so yeah, I really I really enjoyed that. Even seeing the original, um, I tell you, it would probably be off putting for people who don't like. The Shakespearean stuff, though. Fox, you recommended this to us. Have you seen this like <laughs> uh, a long time ago? Have you seen it when it first came out? Or so I, I will share the story that I, I think I'm being baited into telling right now, which I'd be happy to do. <laughs> so this this film debuted in the U.S. for the first time at the South by South Festival, and there was a young younger Fox who was uh, attending the festival for the first time and put in a request as a film critic to quote unquote work the red carpet for this film and was okay. given that request. That meant that I was one of about three people who got to hang out before it was shown to anybody in the U S and meet with every single person on the crew. That meant that man, Clark Gregg, and it meant Alexis Denisoff. It meant, it meant Nathan Fillion. It meant Joss Whedon. Mm. And I was given lots of times because I had written this long email <laughs> So I was young and didn't know how this worked. I, like how much I loved the I loved the play, which I was a huge fan of, and I loved Joss Whedon at that point, and, and all these people. And so I got to meet all these cast members to the point where um, Whedon's agent came up to me right after uh, all these interviews that I had done and said, "Would Joss has asked, would you be willing to sit with them while you watch the film?" So I got to watch this. Literally, I'm not kidding. Literally sitting next to Joss and talking with him, we were one row behind the entire cast. Wow. Nathan Fillion was in front of me. I had met him once before, and he and I had a, a very cordial relationship that he remembered there was some guy named Fox who he'd met once or twice. And it was one <laughs> of the best movie going experiences of my life. They hadn't seen the film. What's that? You said of nice. Course. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm sitting next to Joss and he and I are talking about the film as we're watching it. 
And I actually felt comfortable enough when we saw these great dogberry scenes. That's the character that Angelia plays. The people in the crowd are laughing hysterically. I was able to touch him on the shoulder, and he looked back, and I said, man, that was so great. And he said, thank you, Fox. So like, there's no <laughs> way I can there's no way I can review this film subjectively. Right, yeah. But so I what, still think it's excellent. What, what, what I'm hearing is that you can introduce me to Amy Akers. That we said you can. Yeah, Amy Akers. Yeah, Acker. she was she's, there. She's... I mean, and they were all so lovely. And like, so I'll tell you what they told me because I think that does help enjoy the film a little bit more. The, the cool thing that I heard were Clark Gregg, who plays Leonardo. He is sort of the father creature of this whole thing. Is it what his direction was is to be a fatherly gangster. And like, mm-hmm. he's like, that sounded like so much mm. fun. Like, be protective of those who are in your house, but no one's going to cross that bleeping line. And that's how he played this whole thing with Shakespearean dialogue. Nathan Fillion came up to me. He's like, you know, I played this a lot. Like, I played Captain Hammer, for those of you who are familiar with um, Dr. Harbaugh's single on blog, where I am going to pretend I'm the smartest person in the room and I'm always right. And I'm going to lean into that as hard as I can, that I am clearly not dumb like everyone says i am and when you get those perspectives from the people playing these characters it does enhance the movie going experience um i do believe i'm gonna i should shut up real soon that this is one of the better shakespearean adaptations because of exactly what you said michael you get so much from the acting and the intonation that you understand what they're trying to convey, even if you don't understand every word. So yeah. let me pause there. I'm happy to answer questions, but I don't want to go on and on about this amazing experience in my life and how my you know critique of this film is clearly colored through rose-colored glasses. Right. So Jillian uh, Margulies' question is, she got a boyfriend? Is that what? Mike? No. I'll ask her. Yeah, we keep <laughs> in touch her? daily. Can, 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 you, can only you send came her a text like for me? Almost so. a decade ago. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I said before I, I, that the acting was was really well done. I don't was that was that directing you think or just like every actor knew in every single one because it, it just seemed like too much of a thing coincidence for all of them to have researched and know everything without having some kind of a direction that like okay here is your character this is what they're thinking for everything because th- everybody I'll give my. I would like to give my answer. I'd actually like to hear Dennis's thought on this because, you know, what he thought of this going into So I will say, given my understanding of this, let's go back in time a little bit. Avengers has just come out. It's 2012. And contractually, Joss has been given a break. He's allowed to take time off. And he was supposed to go celebrate his 20th wedding anniversary with his wife at the time. And she said, well, you've told me for years your favorite – Thing ever is much ado about nothing so as her anniversary gift to him she allowed them to film this in their actual house so that's the huh. setting of this film is the whedon estate okay um and said that's my gift to you you get x it was like i mean not 10 days i think to film oh really but he knew this so well that he was like well what do I need to do to take this dialogue and basically turn it into the movie I want to make? And that was her anniversary gift to him. So that nice. to me indicates that he understood this really, really beginning to end and therefore told his you know, thespians how to convey this material. I think a lot of this rests on Whedon's shoulders, but that's nice. my interpretation. 
Yeah, that's good. That's good to know. Dennis, what do you think of this? I know I said it was the the Elizabethan. That's probably the word I want to use. Elizabethan language. Uh, is that it, the era? I, I don't know. It maybe. But always, it depends on who the monarch was. But you you might be close. I think it was <laughs> Queen Elizabeth the first when. Uh, yeah. So so what did, have if, you? If have I'm, you if seen I'm remembering show? Shakespeare in Love accurately. Yeah. Have Have you? Did you watch? Um, have you seen this? Uh, story i guess i should say besides i know it's a story no, Shakespeare's and everything but no and so um that the the uh the setting and the production story actually fits and makes perfect sense having watched it because it had that feel of like i don't know what you want to call that like a student film um uh of of being kind of not necessarily low budget, but you're like, they're they're in. And now that you say that, I'm like, oh, of course they were in a house. It was the same house. The whole yeah. show, the whole uh, movie is set is it, it's shot in this house. Um, yeah. And and so that makes sense. The the style choices, the aesthetic choices were a little distracting at first, but as it went on, um, I definitely see. Uh, the thing Mike described where even if you're not able to follow the archaic language, um, the acting and the emotion portrayed by the actors the face acting and all of that, um, you know, convey, communicate those those emotions and those, um, what, tableaus uh, <laughs> um, as you go through. But this, this idea of um, it's it's almost juxt- juxtaposition. It's a thing that I, um, it's part of the reason that I will recommend Deadwood to anybody who I feel will appreciate it. It's right. one of my favorite shows. And I've said many times how I, I, you know, inter- internalize and personalize a lot of my recommendations more. So the more that I enjoy something. And I know that Deadwood is absolutely not for everybody. If you don't, you know, if you're a little bit squeamish, if you have, problems with coarse language like obviously uh that's the case but even if um you you have no patience or appreciation for uh complex challenging um um, language and writing uh and there's a little bit of that here where um the setting or the 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 aesthetics of the setting are very modern but it's shot in black and white right which is a weird, like, Shakespeare didn't write things in black and white. They were plays. <laughs> they had very colorful yeah. costumes. So, like, right. what is the... And then it's still it's still the old language. So, that stuff was a little off-putting at first. But I, I definitely, um, you know, appreciated it as it went on. I think, um, you know, that's one of the uh, major differences between theater and film is that you can only get so close to theater performers. Yeah. Right. They have to be acting in a way that's very different from the way uh, film and television actors do. And um, so you also have that benefit of the much closer um, interactions and, and what I call face acting. Yeah. Um, I think, I think uh, the black and white thing is a, I, Fox, you might know more than this. I've never been to film schools, but I'm just so I'm just subjectively saying these words. Black and white tends to evoke a feeling of past, 
whether it be like a a not necessarily sure. old, but like something 100%. is in the past, or, or this story is the past, or something happened. It just it's just a feeling of the past type stuff. Uh, uh, this movie, I know it does. You're gonna roll your eyes at this. This movie invokes feelings of Clerks um, that that Certainly. Kevin Smith wrote. It, it sure. was in black and white. It it was written and made in black and white for that same idea that like this is kind of when he grew up. This is how he was in the past type thing. Yes. And it was also had the same kind of prose thing. Like he Smith wrote the thing where they're just talking and they have that conversations and, and that kind of stuff. So, well, Michael, Michael, not to cut you off, but that's think about what you just said without the with the absence of color. What are you focusing on more? The dialogue. You are less visually distracted by costumes and settings and that. And exactly. think about what a Shakespearean play is all about, right? It's all about the dialogue. Think about what Clerks is all about. It's just literally yeah. people standing around talking. So yeah. you're focused. You yeah. have, you're almost like your senses are dialed in more to the audio than they are the visual. Yeah. Uh, I, I want that, to. That, that puts that. Sorry. That idea no, of great. black and white putting in the past, I think, helps with the uh, dichotomy is not the right word. I can't think of the word now, but the idea of um, um, like the the characters don't because it's a historic piece set in a historic time. The characters don't act in a way that their modern appearance uh, would imply, right? Yeah. Like Nathan Fillion and those characters with him are not modern cops, right? There's no <laughs> modern. Right. There's no modern legal system for handling the accusation that comes uh, in the wedding scene. Yeah, right. Um, and so having it in black and white gives you that um, that disconnect of like, oh, hey, right, this is not this is not real. It's a it's a thing that I describe um, in watching anime or other forms of media where the characters that are portrayed are foreign to me in some way, and obviously anime is Japanese, but it's also animated. The characters don't look like real people. And so I can pick up on, um, you know, human stories because I'm getting around the association with a, a like a person that, that, that would, that I would get in a, in a live action film. Right. Uh, last thing I want to say about this, I want to use an example of something that I enjoyed that was, that has to do with acting and directing and all this stuff and Shakespeare. There's a there's a scene where um, it's kind of on the back balcony slash I don't know little walkway they have back there with uh, mm -hmm. Beatrice and Benedict when they're uh, they're discussing uh, it's when she asks it's after she asks him to kill the the guy and then they come back together and she says what did you do and they're they're having a discussion uh, and this is like after the wedding fiasco happened and they're having a discussion about what's going on right and they're also confessing their loves to eat love to each other and they're all in love and they decide they've got a plan they're going to tell them about the they're going to lie about the funeral and or they, they already had this plan but they're discussing where it's at right so beatrice and and uh, benedict are talking and it's all shakespearean prose but they the way this works is that shakespeare says a lot of stuff when I, when you're reading it that just doesn't make sense like he'll say a line and it doesn't make any sense with what came before it or what came after it and in this one they do this scene where She's like, okay, I'm going to go off and we're going to have this funeral type thing, right? And she runs down the stairs. She's super excited. And she says something like, um, uh, I'm going to go do this. She looks at him and says, this is what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, he just starts spouting love thing again. Like, complete, they were planning. They weren't in this love thing. 
And then he just starts spouting love type stuff. Now the actor stands on that 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 balcony and overplays his his love type things. Like he's being really goofy. Like he's being this over silly. It's a very silly love thing. Where if you just read it, you're like, I mean, this guy is just going spouting more love language, blah blah blah, <laughs> more love language. But this guy is clearly being goofy about it. And she and then the actress visually responds with this, like, oh, you're such a goof. And then she they pause. She looks back at him and like. The next line is something like, are you coming? Right. <laughs> and, and because the way it works is that she runs down the stairs. He doesn't follow after her and he stays up there and spouts that goofy stuff at the top. So when you're reading it in Shakespeare, you're like, we're going to do this plan. I'm going to go. And then he starts spouting loves. And then she's like, are you coming? So it doesn't work when you read it on the page, but the way mm. that that was blocked, that that right. was acted, it, she just like, she gives him this disgusted look like, are you going to come or what? And then she says, thou comest or something. And this and is like, exactly, oh, right. you know, this is exactly why I think Shakespeare is a visual medium and you need some, something to sort of push it along. Yeah. Michael, I think you're absolutely, it's a great example of how, this movie understands how to modernize Shakespeare just enough. Like that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. And, and, and I like that was, I just love it. They did that throughout all the show. And that was probably know? comedic, right? Probably if yeah. you were in the crowd when she's like, are you coming? Like, you know, like what are you doing up there? Pontificating yeah. Yeah. About she, your she, love? she was not like, being serious. Funny really. about she was that. Just like, are right. you coming? Yeah. Yeah. And it was great the way she did it. And he was like, of course it is. And he smiles. Right. And does the, like little funny run down the stairs after her. And she giggles as she runs away. Right. Like, and that was probably, that works. Mm-hmm. The fact that we can laugh about that today when it was probably really funny then is a testament to the director. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it yeah. was, and I, and I was glad to, to uh, be able to experience it. So yeah, I, I, I liked it. I definitely also would not say this is for everybody. I know, if you just cannot get over the language within the first five minutes, you're probably not going to watch it. Although I would encourage trying to watch more than five minutes. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I also encourage people to watch good, well-performed Shakespeare, you know, think I'm not a shake. I'm not saying here on officially, I'm not a Shakespeare fan. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate, I have appreciation for Shakespeare. I, I'm not going to tell people to go to the park and watch Shakespeare in the park, but you can send it, your hate mail to yeah, the front right. porch care <laughs> right. of but, Michael. But I do, <laughs> I do think that, that if, if you can make it through, if you can understand what's going on, you have a lot more appreciation for that. And this show will give you, will actually be a much easier like, pill to take and like, Oh, I, I, I like that. I get what's going on here. Um, stick I was with surprised. It. I was surprised when I found myself, like parsing like translating what they were saying to what it means mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like you know subconsciously in my head i'm like okay well i know what somewhere along the line i picked up what by my troth means and you know pretty <laughs> is is an easy one um but more complicated phrases they would you know but and it's and it's very rapid fire you know as natural as you could make this kind of dialogue sound uh again similar to to Deadwood, and I also thought uh, several times of um, the newer Pride and Prejudice adaptation, which is older than this, and the source material is newer because uh, Jane Austen was in the eighteen hundreds. But um, yeah, those like you know very quickly delivered um, lines of just like vocabulary and grammar that have been gone for hundreds of years, and go. Okay, yeah, I'm somehow I'm I know this and and I'm following what they're saying, even though, you know, I know, as, as an indicator of how familiar I am with Shakespeare, as I said at the top of this conversation, I did not recognize this immediately as a Shakespeare title, 
uh, when we when we yeah. announced it last week. So, right. Okay, so we got we only have a short time left, like 10, 15 minutes left. So I'm gonna I'm gonna deciding on the two things that I, I got. Well, I got we got Fox here that I want to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, one one of them is that uh, you're you're a um, new Final Fantasy experience because we we talked about that on the show. But the other one I kind of want to talk about. Real quick, I'm gonna try to fit them both in here first. The other, right. the other one is that uh, there's the new Carnage trailer came out with Venom, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And that was about a week ago. Yep. Um, and so I don't want to get too much into that specifically. Um, the question is, do you like? Are you looking forward to that first off that movie? Like, yeah, yeah. I can't remember if you liked the first one. I'll be I'll be real quick on this. I will absolutely watch this film because I will watch anything Marvel related. I do think Venom is an interesting character, despite I think Eddie Brock being miscast for this particular film uh, and the series. However, I do love the passion that Tom Hardy is putting in this character. I expect this film to be stronger than the last one. I expect it to be a little bit funnier. Um, I do wish I was watching Venom against non-symbiote other villains sure. because yeah. we've seen that before and i think that's a thing we've criticized marvel for for a long yeah. time like don't just yeah. have your hero battle someone else with the same powers uh i like the trailers and i'm hopeful that andy circus who is most well known for doing motion capture as Gollum and other characters will find a way to make these characters interact in a way that is visually interesting during their fight sequences. He's, so, uh, he's directing it, right? He is directing it. So, yes, I am excited for this film, but almost in a way you're excited for, like, the Fast and Furious movies. Like, I don't <laughs> sure, think it's yeah. going to be high-end cinema, but yeah. I expect I'm going to be kind of entertained, and I'll leave it there. So, now, so now well, they, ahead, Dennis. They, they, there's a line in the end of that trailer about family. So I don't know if you are overtly making that Fast Furious connection. It's, it's, it's or all family. If, if yeah, that right. lodged in your, in your subconscious. I, I, yes. The, the, through, the through line I, want, I wanted to put here for you, Fox, was that uh, another movie coming out in the superhero genre in the Marvel world is um, uh, Thor Love and, Love and Thunder. Is that what yes. it's called? Yes. Thank um, you, Regina. You know who, who there is? Um, Batman is in that, and he is playing um, uh, Gore. Gore the God, the God Butcher. Butcher, yes. Right. Um by that, when you say Batman, Batman we mean Val Kilmer, the ultimate Batman, right? The ultimate no, Batman, I, <laughs> Christian I, I, Bale. Christian Bale. I, I enjoy I enjoy calling actors by their one character that they played. Um, yeah, Chris, Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale has a really he's small only career. Played Batman. It's only very played very Batman. small catalog. Very and, narrow. And, yeah. It, so Batman I mean, was, in, and there's only been one Batman that's played. It's, yeah, know, yeah, it's not at all like there have been 15 uh, uh, Batsman. <laughs> all right, guys, I get it. I can't. What you're doing to me? I get it. <laughs> Let so, the man so, ask so Chris, his question. <laughs> so Christian Bale was. Uh, it's more kind of a little bit of a uh-huh statement. Christian Bale is playing uh, Gore the God Butcher. Okay, uh, and and the the fun little tie here is that um, in the comic books there was a there's still it's ending up a big series called The King in Black. Yes, um, and it's take it's it's enveloping all of Marvel comic books, every comic that's been out for the last year or so, and it's ended up uh, with this, and it follows through that um, the King in Black is basically the god of venoms, right? Of the yes, venom people. he's the ultimate symbiote mm. god. Yes, and yes. and him him and Carnage are Venom and Carnage are closely tied to this whole story, um, and has been a pivotal two pivotal characters with um, the King in Black. 
And that King in Black also gives Gore, the God Butcher, his blade that kills the gods. So those two movies do have a tie yeah, between do. them. Although they won't have that tie in it. But um, if you see Gore's uh, axe that he'll have, that's gonna that's a Venom symbiote. Is what yes, it's it is. To be. Uh, so yeah, you'll Venom will a Venom will be in Thor: Love and Thunder. Is there a question in here? Or you just... There wasn't. I just wanted to tie those, those all those you know crazy, stupid, nerdy comic books movies together mm. in a stupid way. Michael, I will tell you something on that that is, is not is not <laughs> is not Fox is not insider information. I don't think I have it on good authority that the Sony movies and the Marvel movies and even the previous Fox movies are all about to compl- to collide in a crazy way where everything will become canon under the MCU. So let's suppose you asked me the question, do I think there's a chance that the, um, the God butcher will have a symbiote and actually be called a symbiote in that film? It is a higher probability than it was three years ago. How about that? I would be shocked if they did, if they did, that would be a huge, like, super nerd moment where people I, are like, I know what that's happened. You know, I know what he's doing there. Yeah. I think you're not as far away from it as you think you should be. That, but I'll funny. pause there. Okay. So m- moving on. Dennis, thing, did you like this trailer? I mean, do we ask? <laughs> Sorry. I, I wanted to geek out Fox on yeah, the, I don't, the comic thing. I don't, I don't have anything to add that anybody hasn't already said. Uh, I think uh, before we, you know, as we say off the air, we were talking about uh, the flash series and I'm not, I haven't mm-hmm. read, you know, Flash comics, so I don't know, but a frequent complaint I've heard about the CW series is that the villains are always other speedsters. Um, yeah, yeah. And in the early years of the MCU, um, that happened not always, but fairly often. Um, yep. A lot of Iron Man villains were other guys in suits. Um, yeah. Just as an example. Um, D- DC, and- DC does a lot of that. In general, DC does it too. I mean, it's it can be tricky depending on what power profile you give your hero uh, to figure out like what you can make that will challenge them because an unchallenged hero is boring. Um, but if the villain is just you know a rogues gallery of various different you know color schemes of your of your hero, that's not interesting either after yeah, the and- second or third time. Um, yeah. So, so, so the, we'll see the, if Carnage the, does that here. Yeah, unless they they do something really different with this with this other symbiote. Um, I had that that sort of. Yeah, right, right. What what what, what are they going to do? Like the other guy, he already fought two symbiotes, right, or, or three or something like that, and they were like already mm-hmm. crazy. So, how's this going? to Yeah, right. What were yeah, they? We'll, they we'll see. Yeah, I forget what they were called. I forget their names, but yes, that's exactly what the premise was of the first film, where it was like, oh, they're just other versions of the symbiote and. It seems like you're doing that again. So, yeah, that worries me. Yeah, a little the, bit. the the Clintar is the name for them. The uh, the casting of the villain does does is interesting to me. Um, yeah, with Woody Harrelson. Is that Woody you? Harrelson. Yeah, yeah. They, they they fixed his look, by the way. Besides the, the oh the haircut. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. Thank God that he's not Ronald McDonald the clown now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, all right, last last thing. Uh, so, Fox, you have never played massively multiplayer online games before, right? Um, no, I have not, not nearly, not, not in this way. No. So, so now you're playing the game that Dennis and I, we talked about last week and we've come back to, uh, 
I just want to kind of actually touch on what time we have here left. How is that experience kind of, I can't imagine the overwhelming amount of yes. information in my face. I mean, that is, that is okay. So it's only overwhelming because I have great friends. Um, and they, there's a, there are people talking about like lore and universe building um, in a way that you're just like, man, they're dropping acronyms and, and characters mm-hmm. in a way you just can't even, mm-hmm. can't even, but I will say this, I'll, I'll, I'll give it this commercial here because it's also exciting. It's also cool to, to know that you have people who've been entrenched in this universe for years and years and years and still find it interesting to discuss the lore, the narratives, the twists and turns as a newbie. Um, it can be a little, again, I think overwhelming, Michael, is exactly the uh, word yeah, you want to use. Can imagine. There's just so much sure. going on. But w- here's my recommendation. Find a group of people who know what they're talking about. And even in our group, we have tiers of this. Like I have mm-hmm. friends who have played mm-hmm. enough that they can be like, oh, go to this guild. And, oh, you should really focus on these quests. And even they, it's funny, answer to a higher being we call chance. Chance, who knows yeah. <laughs> who knows so much about it who like he has every map memorized and things like that my point is this it is a beautiful universe to go into but enjoy the community aspect that's yeah. my that's what i would say so if you've heard about the resurgence of final fantasy um the the online version and you're like oh i'm curious about this go into it um i did find i played a lot of the early um main story quest on my own without any help i found it very easy to navigate i think some of the controls and and interfaces are a little archaic but if you can stick with it there's a lot to love yeah that i i will say that i i like single player games a lot i mean i, I really do and and uh you know i want to sit down and play my own game by myself or play spider-man or zelda or whatever it might be and i like going through that story uh MMOs, especially kind of modern day MMOs, give you so much that you can do that, and then all of a sudden we're all on the same night and go run a dungeon together. Like we only got to play once with you so far, Fox, like as in in a group. Right. And just that short amount of time, it was very short, just one little dungeon thing. That's very enjoyable. Like to me, that's my favorite part about playing MMOs yeah. is that Dennis and I don't play often together, but we're on at the same time, and then occasionally. Mm. I can say, hey, Dennis, you want to go run a thing? I'm like, yeah. And then all four, like me, Pete, Chance, and Dennis are all talking on Discord, doing the same thing. Well, you know, even, and if I, I'll, I, just not to give, I'm not trying to cut off Dennis here because I want to hear his thoughts as well. But like, what I loved was there was a couple of times where I was on and I was playing and I was in an entirely different part of the world. I wasn't even in a dungeon or anything, but I, everyone else was playing and I was able to ask questions. I was like, hey, yeah. everyone, mm-hmm. how do I, do this or what's what do you recommend the strategy be to level up my character when i have yeah. these options and i love that community aspect of it yeah you don't have that in Mar- white wall playing mario brothers I no mean, you Mario's definitely great. do not it's, it's a great game but it's just different right yes yeah yeah uh mmos and and uh 14 final fantasy 14 um almost more so than others have this idea what we call um i don't know parallel play or um i I think we have shorthand terms for it but it basically just means we're all on playing the same game separately we're all doing different things um but we're all you know we're maybe on discord talking about it or 
whatever the i think you've done you fox have done enough of the uh, main scenario quest or main story quest to get the formula of it 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 changes and it gets less uh meandery as you get into the expansions um mm-hmm. but the 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 main story is these uh solo play sequence of dialogue and cutscenes basically it's very um right it's played out in what I describe as a very realistic way, and I've, I've talked about this on the podcast. You'll talk to some people, find out some stuff, and then go talk to other people and catch them up on what you've just learned and try right. to make decisions. And it's like you're having a series of meetings almost. Yes. <laughs> and then that's all solo play content, right? It's mm. I, I, I sometimes, it's the closest I've ever gotten to considering doing streaming because I'm like, I want to react and share this cutscene that I'm watching but because I'm ahead of everybody but Chance in the story, I can't because I don't want to spoil it. And I'm like, I was just going to think of that. I was like, that, that's going to suck to be in the like, front. Yeah. Like, hey, you're, you know, oh, man, this guy again. Oh, I can't believe he bought, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. That, but that, then, I then after, that. A, that sucks. after enough of those, you'll get to a, um, a dungeon that's part of the story. And the dungeons all have stories mm. around them. I've not... Uh, you know, read into those as much as as much as I could have. Um, WoW did a little bit of that, and does. It depends on the dungeon whether how much they 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 do that. But Final Fantasy, being a, a JRPG, um, really leans into it. And then when they do hard modes or extreme, like more difficult versions of the dungeon, there's a different story. Like some of the monsters will be the same, but it's almost you know all new bosses. So they're like. Hey, remember we went in here and we had to stop this guy is, you know, whatever, whatever with the story. And like now there's this new group in here and they're trying to steal the secrets out of this library. And I think we should go in there and stop them. Um, and yeah, so you have this this sort of going back and forth between, you know, the solo content, the story reading, sort of experiencing that sort of by yourself though i've had moments where i i hit big revelations in the story and i'll message chance i'm like oh i can't believe it you know um yeah th- th- this then, works then you get into the dungeons which you can certainly do with uh what they call the duty finder the the group finder um with strangers which is what i often do if i'm you know usually i'm by myself um or if i'm ahead right like i can't bring any of you guys into a dungeon in the story cuz you're not unlocked it yet um but if like we did um, with Fox when he got to that point, it was like, "Hey, let's run this together," and now we're doing the thing together. Yeah, no, I I enjoy that. This has a different uh, experience, pacing or timing that the other shows. Like if you go watch a movie, uh, people are going to come out to the water cooler. They're going to talk about it right away. They're like, "I want to talk about this thing." Or you got like a two day moratorium on whatever. But with Final Fantasy, it's like Fox gets the best experience. Because the person who plays it later, he's going to say, oh, this guy's a jerk. And all of a sudden, all 50 people who's done it will be like, yes, I know exactly what. And then everyone's going to talk about it then. right? Or, mm-hmm. or you meet Manphilia and you're like, and then all of a sudden you'll just be like, oh, I like this Manphilia character. And all of a sudden you're going to get 50 opinions like, oh, yeah, she's so great. And you know, whoever she is, that person who's last gets to share in the most shared experience of the story. As opposed to the other way around, usually when you got to be first ones to get the shared experience and see it at the same time. Something uh, something I've not had the opportunity to experience because I've not I've never been at the end of the game is um, I bet a lot of that happens when a new expansion drops and the community around this oh, game yeah, is very sure. good about not spoiling the story. 
Um, but what people talk about a lot is that, especially former WoW players, is that um, 14 doesn't do um, uh, a public test, public test realm for their expansions. Mm. Um, I assume they have, I mean, they obviously have internal testing, and I think maybe they do some kind of kind of user testing. But what that means is when a WoW patch drops uh, or expansion, people have been playing the beta version for weeks to months. And so everybody knows at least the beginning part of the story. Um, Final Fantasy XIV expansions have their whole story. I mean, they'll add stories and patches, but the main story of the expansion is complete when it's launched. It'll take you a while to play through it, but they're not going to add any more. It's all there. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And so when an expansion comes out because there's been no public test, everything is new for all the players at the same time. There have been no yeah. leaks and 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 spoilers as far as that goes. It's so story it's so story driven. This game is so story driven for sure. Yes, and and, and to clarify, Fox, you're playing it on PlayStation, right? Not on the. I PC. am. Yeah, I'm connecting with obviously the team who are playing on all different platforms, which is one of the beautiful things about this game is that you can connect mm-hmm. via multiple uh, yeah, systems. That's huge. Um, yeah, that's, but yes, that's really I, huge. We, I think we have a couple people that do it both ways, and then I think. Dennis, do you even play it with the controller on, or Pete does? Somebody plays the controller on the PC. Pete does. Pete plays the controller. I, yeah. I think I think the rest of us are mostly PC. Chance plays on both, and I have used controller at various times. I've been I've been mouse and keyboard since since we came back. But you can, like you said, you can play on the PS4, and for a while they had PS3, but I think they dropped that at a certain expansion. Yeah. Um, I I, th- I think PS4 that's the, or one PS5, of the problems. And um, and PC, and then yeah. on the PC you can use uh, a gamepad or yeah. mouse. I think that's one of the problems with the clunky UI. We're talking with with Fox about how you just said that like there's it feels a little awkward with stuff. I think most of that awkward is stuff. It's, it works both ways. I think PC people we definitely have awkward things like this doesn't make any sense and why do i have all these extra clicks and these things but when i watch sydney play it on a controller it's so simple to do that maneuver but then when i want her to just change a a um ui interface piece it's so confusing on the controller where it's really mm-hmm. easy on on the, the thing and and i can't uh i don't envy them that position of trying to make something so so total. i'm just it's kind of nice that they did so they they put such an effort into having these two kind of disparate things and and so that like you can play it with us, not that you don't have a PC, but it's just a different kind of kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. Okay, as as we leave outro, Fox, are you looking forward to the next uh, Link Zelda thing coming out? I know you're a big Zelda person. You have uh, well, if you talk about Skyward Sword, um, yes. that just came out. I already own it and have been playing. Um, oh, is it already out? Okay, yeah, yes, yeah, it's cool. already out. Uh, I own it. Um, oh, my son is my son is way ahead of me, um, but it <laughs> yeah. is fun. Um, I don't think it's nearly as good as Breath of the Wild, but it is a fun. Um, oh, you, that's what's my last thing. It's not as good as the first one, but it's well, still fun, though, right? Yeah. I mean, it is. The first one it, was so good, I hear. Yeah. So, so Skyward Sword was the um, Legend of Zelda entry that was released for the Wii U, which yeah. nobody played because it was oh, on the okay. Wii All right, sure. U. Um, they've ported it over to the Switch. It's the it's basically oh. the testing ground for Breath of the Wild. So it's, so it's not a, it's not a new game, okay? No, it's not a new game. It's just a port, um, okay. and it's very fun. It has a good story. It's not nearly as strong as say Breath of the Wild, which is probably the crescendo thus far of the series. Okay, cool. I'm I'm as I can't get struggle to get a hold of a PlayStation Five still every 
freaking week trying. Mm. I, I I still think uh, the the switch looks more and more uh, enticing, and not not that it's not it wasn't enticing before, but as Nintendo first party titles releases more and more, like a second Zelda, I have more things to say. Like okay, I can I buy will it. Say, and there's a library that I like. So. There's no question, Mike. The if you played if you played Breath of the Wild, it is one of the best games ever made. So. Yeah, yeah, and and it's not it's not just uh, you know I, I'm not one to to pick a system seller on one right. or two or three games, uh, which Nintendo usually has those three games. But over four years, they now have twelve or fifteen. Now it's time for me to like, yep, I can. It's it's time to hop in there and and play around in that field. Yeah, uh, some hmm. stuff. Well, I think we got it, fellas. We were did a good thing. Foxer, thanks for coming in again, buddy. We, oh, you know it's always an honor to be here. I love talking geek with each of you. Thank you so much for whenever you ask me on. Uh, I never try to over-invite myself, but I got, I'm going to put in a plug <laughs> here. What if the Marvel show is about to come out on Disney oh, Plus? Yeah. Um, I don't know that Dennis even needs to show up for these conversations. It's so <laughs> fan service based, um, based nerds. upon your love of the MCU movies. Um, yep, total nerds. But um, but thank you so much. I genuinely love being a part of this community. So I appreciate you asking me on. Awesome. Mike, uh, whose uh, who's movie pick is it? Oh, it's my movie pick. We didn't say that one right. Uh, I kind of want to say Clerks now. Oh, yeah. you can't do that in nine. But <laughs> come on, <laughs> killing me, Smalls. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to we'll have to save that one. Yeah, I, matter of fact, I, Clerks, Clerks is because so you don't want me on multiple episodes in a row. That's no, that's no good, ready. Right? You want your right, listener base what... to go up. You don't want. Yeah, it to yeah that's right. Right. Uh, yeah, Clerks is on, on the list for sure. I, uh, that that's a good one. I, I like that even better than Mallrats. Um, okay. Oh shoot, Dennis, I did not uh, look onto this one ahead of time. Uh, shall we watch? Oh man, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Okay. I I I. It's not that old, but I remember loving it a lot. It's excellent. Um, Gosh, I just yeah. saw. What did I? That's the, Kristen Wiig is in that, right? Yes. No, no. Oh, oh yes. yes. Kristen Wiig. Kristen yes. Wiig. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. But not I, as I, what you think Kristen Wiig. Like, you don't think her, no. her other characters. That she's Did you all I, see I get, Stranger Than get, Fiction? Yeah. Uh, yes. With Emma Thompson and, and yes. Will Ferrell. Yes. I think of yeah. Walter mm-hmm. Mitty, serial oh, yes. Walter Mitty, as being up upgrade version okay, of that. Okay, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so, okay, let's let's watch Walter Mitty. And the and reason I'm putting that out there is because we've talked about movies that we love that we think that should be worth watching and talking about. Uh, and this one, I remember really liking and not a lot of people talking about it. And I wish oh, I loved, so. I love Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I yeah. will not inject myself into that show, but Oh my gosh. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Ben cool. Stiller and, uh, uh, Patton Oswalt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Patton you, say, Oswald, you say all those names, Sean you say all those Penn. names and they're not going to meet anything in this movie. Like they don't fit. No, regular they, roles no, everyone is doing things outside the norm. It's true. It's true. Again, Christian yeah. Wig. Yeah, They're, I was, I was Adam thinking, Scott. When you, if you want to go Scott, yeah. Parks and yeah. Rec. Yeah. You, uh, you named this movie, Michael. And I, I thought I've seen Kristen Wig somewhere recently. And I, you know, watched an old SNL cold open or uh, monologue with, um, with Rain Wilson from a couple of years ago. And she's there. Uh, playing a Pam character, which is a funny bit. But <laughs> what I was thinking of that I had seen her in uh, was um, Barb and Star. Barb and Star go yeah. to uh, Vista Del Mar. I know. Remember, you, you saw her in Wonder Woman. 
That's oh, true. Yeah. The cheetah. That's true. The I, cheetah. I forgot. I forgot about that. The yeah. apex predator. The apex predator. <laughs> speaking of speaking of things DC has done recently, <laughs> and we all want to forget about. All right. It. Yeah. Right. 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 Try to erase from our from our consciousness. All right. Well, you've been listening to the front porch. This is episode two hundred and seven. Um, we can uh, give Fox one more plug for your uh, your your venues. Sure. You can find my reviews at LRM online or listen to the podcast, which is also part of that network, Geek Scholars Movie News. Love those guys. Uh, if you want to reach out to us with your favorite Shakespeare adaptation or suggest <laughs> other things that you think we should watch and discuss, you can reach out to us via email. That address is frontporchpod at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, uh, finally... I think back up and working at the correct domain Yay. that is front porch podcast.com and use contact forms there. There's also the list, uh, you know, to varying degrees of, of movies that we have already to watch. Uh, if you enjoy the front porch, please consider subscribing on Spotify, overcast, Apple podcasts, wherever podcasts are found as always. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, I'm Dennis, I'm Michael and I'm Fox for the front porch <laughs> night, everybody. See you next time. 